The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to devour my flesh, they stumbled and they fell. Though an host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in God's temple. I don't know about you, church, but I'm glad to be in the service one more time. As I told the congregation last night after birthing my twin girls four months ago, I'm convinced that he didn't have to let me live. He didn't have to let me live, but I'm glad to be in the service one more time. I give honor to God because God is the head of my life. God is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. The Greek New Testament tells us that God is the Alpha Chi Omega. God is the author and the finisher of my faith. To God be the glory. Great things God has done. To the angel of this house, the Reverend Dr. Howard John Wesley, I am so blessed and humbled by the invitation to be present with you on this Sunday morning to worship God with this marvelous congregation, this spirit-filled congregation, to worship with you in spirit and in truth. I give honor to the reverend clergy who are present today. They are such a beautiful contingent of ministers um, serving at the pleasure of your pastor. To reverend Dr. Judy Fentress Williams, who has just been uh, so extraordinarily kind. Her spirit is so genuine and peaceful. I'm grateful for you and for the ministry you provide to this church, to all of the ministers, Minister Barbara for her kindness, for uh, Reverend Mark, who was my student, y'all, at Duke Divinity School. I'm always glad to see my students. It is such a pleasure to serve the church through the Theological Academy and have the opportunity to go out and see my students after seasons of discernment and seasons of faith formation, uh, doing the work of God in the church and the world. And what a marvelous job he is doing to my dear brother, uh, Minister McDavid, uh, Elijah, who is uh, a brother because he is an alum of my seminary, the Union Theological Seminary in the city of New York. So there is a connection there to all of you for your service and for your sacrifice. May God continue to bless and keep you. To the officers of this house, the deacons and deaconesses and trustees, I will continue to remember you in my prayer to this singing aggregation. <laughs> my Lord, my Lord. Nearly had me laid out. I wouldn't, I'm not able to preach after hearing that singing. I, we don't even need a sermon, but I'm going to try my best to uh, all of the members of this old ship of Zion. 
you know, not to, I, I'm, I'm a, a minister out of the Abyssinian Baptist Church where I was licensed and ordained and certainly still continue to hold my membership there even as I now serve at Yale Divinity School. But there's not too many churches that can beat us in age. We are an old church. But this church, I believe 1803 uh, versus Abyssinians 1808, this is indeed an old ship of Zion. And to all of the members here, And to all of the friends of the body of Christ, I greet you this morning as I would any other in the name of the Creator, the Christ, and the Holy Ghost. Good morning. morning. Our scripture is taken from the New Testament. It is uh, taken from the gospel according to Mark. If it is your custom, please stand for the reading and hearing of the word. Mark, the sixth chapter, beginning at verse 34, there are four Gospels, three synoptic, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But Mark is the oldest of them all. Mark, the sixth chapter, beginning at verse 34. I'll be reading this morning from the New Revised Standard Version of the text. It reads on this wise. As Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and the hour is now very late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. But Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, are we to go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves have you go and see? And when they had found out, they said, five, five loaves and two fish. Then Jesus ordered them to get all the people to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, Jesus looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And all ate. And all were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who had eaten the loaves numbered 5,000. The word of the Lord is blessed. Please be seated. Shall we pray? Monday, we held it together. Wednesday, we had stormy weather. Friday, we prayed it all better. And Sunday, Lord, Sunday, we heard the good news. 
Hide now your servant, O God, behind the cross, that in this preaching moment the people of God might not see her, but they might see Jesus and decide to follow him. This is your servant's prayer in Jesus' name, and the people of God said, amen. I'd like to speak with you very briefly this morning on the subject, Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible. Well, what is the mission? As attested to in the 28th chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew, beginning at the 19th verse, Jesus said to that which would become the early church, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And in light of this assignment that Jesus himself has set before the church, and the harsh realities of our time. It might appear at first glance that the mission for which we, the church, has been commissioned is impossible. We must but turn on the news, CNN or NBC, MSNBC, ABC, or Fox. In fact, some of us don't even have to turn on the TV. We can just walk outside to see what kind of night it really is for black people in America and for poor people beyond racial distinctions. Even though black people are the disproportionately poor, not only in our own neighborhoods, in our state, in our nation, but black people are the most economically and socially disenfranchised people in the world. Many of us can but walk outside our front doors to see what time of night it really is for those of us whose skins have been kissed by the sun. Do you know, sisters and brothers, that one third of American children live in poverty. Do you know that although African Americans constitute roughly 13% of the U.S. population, 40% of the children who live in poverty are black? We sing, bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed us till we want no more. But we are surrounded by hungry children who do not have enough food to eat in a nation that produces enough food for every person to have three square meals per day and two snacks. Our children are threatened by educational apartheid in the year of our Lord 2020 that we mistakenly thought uh, Brown v. Board of Education had disrupted in 1954. But white flight, 
and the privatization of the American industrial uh, education project, much like the privatization of the prison industrial complex, has left poor children who, as established, are disproportionately black and brown children in separate and unequal educational facilities that are administratively overtaxed, sorely understaffed and underfunded, so that our teachers are restricted in their capacity to teach reading, writing, and arithmetic on par with their peer institutions. And children, our children, are restricted in their capacity to study, to show themselves approved. And we must not forget, sisters and brothers, that the cradle-to-prison pipeline targets these very underperforming elementary schools and school districts in its future projection of how many beds and how many jail cells will be needed in the days ahead. And although statistics prove without a shadow of a doubt that black people do not commit the most crimes, that black people do not sell the most drugs, that black people do not traffic the most guns, that black people are not the most violent of offenders. We are the disproportionately incarcerated. That means there's more of us in jail than anybody else. And have you read your constitution lately? For slavery is abolished except as punishment for a crime. The elders used to say, before I be a slave, I be buried in my grave. But the fact of the matter is that there are more black people dying a social death in jail today than were enslaved in the 1860s. And as current events have revealed, before they can even get us to the precinct, Freddie Gray, before we know what we're being charged with, Laquan McDonald, before they read us our rights. Old Justice Taney ruled against due process uh, uh, in the 1890s, uh, uh, when he said, 1857 rather, when he said to one Dred Scott um, that a black man has no rights that a white man is bound to respect. Um, I'm telling you that before they read us our rights, we can be shot down like dogs in the street. Mike Brown said, hands up, don't shoot. We can be asphyxiated in our own neighborhoods in front of the corner store. I can't breathe. We can be shot down in our grandmother's backyard with a cell phone in our hand. Can you hear me now? We can be strung up with a garbage bag. I am Sandra Bland. And the world will be told that we killed ourselves. Langston Hughes once penned, America never was America to me, nor freedom in this homeland of the free, but you've got this disrespectful, anti-black, racist, sexist, narcissistic, homophobic, greedy, self-centered, braggadocious, flat-out evil, 45th resident of the White House trying to make America great again. Oh, you can say what you want to say. 
But old Billie Holiday said it best, black bodies swinging in the southern and northern breeze. A uh, uh, strange fruit, she said, hanging from the poplar tree. And when you compound the realities of our time, when you add it all up, when you put it all together, that our children, maybe not your children, Alfred Street, but our children are hungry. When they go to unequal schools that have been targeted by the evil machinations of a prison industrial complex that based on statistics has already incarcerated many of their loved ones, Junebug, Jojo, and Big Sean, while living in community where black lives don't matter. Such that walking home from the store with Skittles and an Arizona iced tea might cost you your life. Such that water in Flint and Newark and Washington can be uh, used as a weapon of mass destruction. Such that going to church to Bible study on a Wednesday night could cost you your life. From four little girls in a Birmingham church uh, to Charleston's uh, Emmanuel 9 uh, to Pittsburgh's a tree of life uh, amidst these social reality. This kind of social uh, crucifixion uh, must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free. Amidst this kind of social crucifixion, the mission church, which we have already been commissioned, Jesus said, go ye therefore, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. The mission for which we have been commissioned might seem impossible. Mission. Impossible. And it is precisely amidst the seemingly impossible that we find Jesus and his disciples in our text today. You know, it's about 8.30, but we started at 7.30, and the only thing I do these days uh, at 7.30 or 8.30 in the morning is feed my babies. So y'all gonna have to bear with me as the Lord gets me together, but this is where we find ourselves in the text. In verse 35, we find disciples huh? uh, telling Jesus, this is, Jesus, a deserted place. It's impossible. It'll never happen. It'll never come to pass. Can you imagine telling God that something is impossible? The disciples, huh? That's, that's me and that's you. Uh, they were standing there telling Jesus, this is a deserted place. In some translations, it says this is a desolate place, but whether uh, it is uh, translated as deserted or desolate, it all points to the same reality. Jesus and the disciples find themselves amidst 
the seemingly impossible amidst a crowd of people facing tragic and traumatic circumstances. In fact, Biblical scholars, uh, they suggest that the mention of baskets in verse 42 reveals the impoverished condition of the gathered community. They were the poor. They were the disenfranchised. They were the socially marginalized who had to carry baskets with them on their way. I'm from up north. My roots run deep in the state of New York. I was born in the 1980s. I'm a child of the hip hop generation. They call us millennials. (laughs) But this story, this story reminds me of the stories my grandma Shirley and my grandpa Pete would tell me about traveling in the Jim Crow South. Some of y'all remember when black people would not be served at a rest stop, when black people could not stay at just any hotel. Before you went on your way, you had to wrap your fried chicken and your white bread in a wax paper and pack it up in a brown paper bag. Don't act all sadiddy, Alfred Street. Some of y'all still packing your fried chicken and your white bread and your canned soda. Oh, and it's all right with me because it's sundown in America. Oh, and that treasonous rebel flag is is flying high with MAGA emblazoned on it all over this land. Uh, uh, And as long as you drive while black, uh, as long as you walk while black, as long as you play while black, the truth is, as my mother told me, you can't stop anywhere. Pack your own basket. The baskets of the ancient world reveal the impoverished social condition of this community. Jesus and the disciples find themselves in a deserted place, a desolate place, a depressed neighborhood, a disconsolate community. And although none of us were there, we weren't in Ferguson, we weren't maybe in Baltimore, we weren't in Staten Island, we weren't in Cleveland, we weren't in Durham, we weren't in Charlotte. Maybe, as we like to say, we have food on our table and uh, we have clothes on our back and we woke up with a reasonable portion of health and strength. Maybe we weren't in that desolate place. Uh, Oh, but uh, most of us know what it feels like to be down. Oh, to feel uh, uh, alone and deserted, to be grieved in your spirit, to feel like you're traveling the road all alone. You remember when mama died, when daddy got sick. Hmm? And although you heard somewhere that absence from the body is presence with the Lord, Although you heard somewhere that when the earthly house of this tabernacle be dissolved, there's a building, a house 
not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Though somebody told you that there's no more crying there and there's no more dying there, that the leaves on the trees are good for the healing of the nations, you can't help but to feel depressed and bereaved. You are in a deserted place. Or uh, 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 the disciples said, this is a deserted place. And you know what it feels like because you remember some of you are down to your last dime right now. You robbed Peter to pay Paul for the last time. Somebody here does not know where the rent is coming from next month. Somebody doesn't know where the tuition is coming from next month. Somebody doesn't know where their next meal is coming from today. But you heard somewhere that God is the provider. They call his name Jehovah Jireh. And you heard somewhere that, uh, that although he may not come when you want him, uh, he's always uh, right on time. But today, you find yourself in a desolate place. Maybe you've got problems on the job. Huh? You've heard it said work while it is day for the night soon cometh when no man can work. Uh, you've heard it said show yourself approved a workman uh, 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 rightly dividing the word of truth but your boss and your co-workers get on your last nerve. Uh, they slam out their minds uh, and it seems your job seems to be destroying you you are in a desolate place or maybe uh, maybe your heart is broken family problem children won't get right your husband your wife won't do right you've got a pain in your side Paul said a thorn in my flesh a messenger of Satan to buffet me and though you sing Sunday after Sunday Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Time and again, you find yourself in a deserted place. The disciples said, Jesus, this is a deserted place. The mission is impossible. Oh, but Jesus. Oh, but Jesus, the song says there is a name. I love to hear. I love to sing its word. It sounds like music in my ear, the, the sweetest name on earth. The text tells us that when Jesus saw the great crowd in an impossible situation, he had compassion on them. He did not ask them what church they belonged to. He did not ask who their pastor was. Uh, he did not ask if they had been born again. He did not require them to say the sinner's prayer. He did not exhort them to lift up holy hands. He did not instruct them to come to the front of the church and confess their sin. No, all the Bible says is that he had 
compassion on them. I remember in the old church when the deacons would come down to the front uh, of the altar and, and they would uh, tell us about Jesus' compassion. They'd say, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, no one cared about the condition they were in. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew as did Nat Turner. Jesus knew as did David Walker. Jesus knew as did Benjamin Elijah Mays. Jesus knew as did Mary McLeod Bethune, as did Elhaj Malik and Betty Shabazz, as did Martin King and Ella Baker. Jesus knew that you cannot be about the business of saving souls if you know not the significance of saving bodies. No, I don't want to pray with you if you suppress my vote. Uh, 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 voting for those who justify the slaughter of innocents. You can't say so, see? If you don't know anything about saving bodies, I don't want to, to sing with you uh, if you align yourself with those who justify black disenfranchisement. No, I don't want to worship with you uh, if uh, uh, you don't have anything or, or rather you want to talk all day about the old church but don't have anything to say about the new Jim Crow. Why? Because the womanist wisdom of my foremothers tells me that everybody praying about heaven, everybody singing about heaven, everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. When Jesus found himself in a desolate place, he did not ignore it. He did not turn a blind eye. He had compassion on them. But the disciples were confused. Hell-bent on making the church great again. No women. No queers. Don't be too dark. No drums is too loud. No young people. No new ministries. Preach the old way. Sing the old way. Teach the old way. Serve communion the old way. Our disciples hell bent on making the church great again instead of being transformed into the new thing that God is calling us to the disciples the disciple spent all their time all their waking hours with Jesus huh the disciple who when Jesus would ask who do you say that I am huh would confess without hesitation, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, the ones who, who, who knew what to say and when to say it, they'd sing, guide me, oh thou great Jehovah. 
not pilgrim in this barren land. They knew what to do and when to do it. The ushers may come, the choir will sing, and we will give. The disciples were confused. When they saw the tragic condition of the crowd, what the black philosopher and revolutionary Franz Fanon uh, might call the wretched of the earth, the disciples told Jesus, send them away. There's nothing we can do for them. They need too much and we don't have enough to give. They're too dirty. The mission, Jesus, is impossible. They're too bored. The mission, Jesus, is impossible. Uh, they're too common. Uh, the mission, Jesus, is impossible. Their music is too loud. The mission, Jesus, is impossible. Their language is too profane. The mission is impossible. Uh, their pants sag too low. Uh, the mission is impossible. Her skirt is too short. Uh, the mission is impossible. This is a deserted place, Jesus. Send them away. The disciples the disciples, the disciples can be devilishly mean. To the ones who need us the most. Don't get mad for me telling it like it is. Jesus already knows how mean we can be. Jesus said, I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. Jesus said I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. Jesus said I was sick and I was in prison and you did not visit me. We can be devilishly mean. But this mean spiritedness is not innate to our human personality. It's not natural for us. It is born from a culture of deprivation that is being consumed by what we don't have instead of focused on what we do have. And when we are focused on what we don't have, we lose sight. We lose sight of the fact that our mission is not dependent on what we don't have. Our mission is not dependent on our deficiencies, on our deficits, on our shortages, on our insufficiencies, but our mission as the church, as the people of God, is dependent first on the power of a God who can take nothing and make something. We serve a God, in case anybody has forgotten, that was born in the poverty of a barn. We serve a God who died as a slave on a cross. But I've been told that on the third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and took his seat at the right hand of the Father. We serve a God who can can take the worst of us uh, and make the best of us, uh, who can take nothing uh, ex nihilo uh, and make uh, something all the disciples had was five loaves and two fish. And if, if they had focused on what they didn't have, we don't have enough, Jesus. 
it would have been reasonable for them to abort mission. But Jesus said, you may not, sisters and brethren, Jesus said, you may not think you have enough, but use what you've got. Because my mission is not about you, but it's about my father, who's rich, they say, in houses and land. He, he holds the whole world in the palm of his hand, which means he can take your nothing, uh, uh, your no good for nothing, uh, and make uh, something. Uh, I believe that he fed uh, 5,000 black people uh, with five loaves uh, and two fish uh, because I believe in a God uh, who can make something uh, out of nothing. Uh, the Bible says uh, that in the beginning, uh, when darkness uh, covered the face of the deep, uh, God said, uh, let there be light. Uh, in the Latin, uh, God said, fiat lux, uh, and uh, there was light. Uh, we serve a God who scoops up dirt, uh, breathes uh, the breath of life into it, uh, and fashions his own image uh, in the world. Let us uh, make humankind uh, in our own image, uh, black and white, uh, male and female, gay and straight, uh, uh, fat uh, and skinny, uh, rich uh, and poor, ugly and pretty. We serve a God who can make something out of nothing. Which is why I believe against all odds that the mission for which we have been commissioned is possible. For what is impossible for man is possible with God. Well, somebody's asking. Somebody is asking, what is the mission? Jesus said, go ye therefore, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Baptizing them in the Greek, baptize, baptizo. It means to immerse. Hmm? To emerge so that Jesus is telling us in the Great Commission that our mission is to cover the crowd see to immerse means to go down and be covered right, right. Jesus is telling us that our mission is to cover the crowd in his name that our mission is to immerse them, to cover them in God. Not just, I mean, we want the folks to come to the water, but the mission is about covering them in God's love and in God's justice and in God's mercy and in God's kindness. It is not closing borders and enacting bans and calling names, but covering the crowd in my name 
Well, someone is asking, what is his name? Well, my grandmother said <laughs> that he's a way maker. She said he's a heart fixer, that he's a mind regulator. What is his name? Uh, she said he's a bridge over troubled water. She said he's a doctor in the sick room and a lawyer in the courtroom. What is his name? Uh, she said he's a mother to the motherless and a father to the fatherless and a friend to the friendless. Uh, what is his name? They call him the lily of the valley. Uh, they call him the bright and morning star. Uh, they call him wonderful counselor, the mighty God. Uh, and the great apostle said that at this name, every knee shall bow. Um, and every tongue confess. What is the mission? That we preach good news to the poor, that we preach deliverance to the captive, that we preach recovery of sight to the blind, that we preach liberation for the oppressed. All of it in the mighty name, in the strong name, in the holy name, in the matchless name, in the awesome name, in the powerful name, in the wonderful name of Jesus, of Jesus, like Jesus. I'm watching my time and I'll be through. The mission that is before us as his disciples, as the church is a bitter one. Uh, our community, black, brown, and the poor of all colors, is in a desolate place. Our sisters and brothers, black, brown, and poor of all colors, at home and abroad, are in a deserted place. And sometimes it's easier to just say, send them away. But I've passed by with a story today of five loaves and two fish. I've wrapped it up in some theological wax paper. <laughs> because we have a long journey ahead of us, and church, we cannot stop until we get there. Let me tell you, you all have heard this story before. It's of, um, you've heard it before in some form or fashion, but I'm gonna, some of you have heard it before. I'm, I'm going to tell the story again because it's an important story to tell. Uh, when I was um, a young minister, I uh, was on the visitation circuit and one Wednesday evening, I remember it was a Wednesday because Law and Order was on, and I wanted to stay. That's when it was on, on Wednesday. Now it's on Thursday. We, who got time for that? But anyway, uh, um, Law and Order was on, and I wanted to stay home. I wanted to watch Law and Order, but I remember I had to go and do my visitation. Anyway, I ended up at the nursing home to visit Mother Smith. 
Mother Smith had been my Sunday school teacher, and Mother Smith was now aged and infirm. She was in the nursing home by herself. I wanted to watch Law and Order. It was a Wednesday. But I uh, found myself in the nursing home, and when I got up to the day room, I saw Mother Smith sitting by the window. She was in her wheelchair. She was bent over, and she, was, uh, she had her head bowed. I went over to Mother Smith and, and I said, hey, Mother Smith, it's, at that time I was Reverend Marshall. I said, it's Reverend Marshall. How are you doing today? And Mother Smith said, well, uh, uh, the doctors tell me that um, that is not looking good. She said, the doctors said that my, my heart is failing and my kidneys are in trouble. She said, I got sugar, baby, and uh, it's not going so well. The doctors say there's nothing more they can do for me. Uh, things look pretty near impossible. And I said, Mother Smith, I'm so sorry to hear that. In fact, I was a young man. I, I didn't know what to say uh, except to sit in uh, her pity with her. But then out of nowhere, Mother Smith, she was bent over and her head was bowed. Mother Smith said, um, she said, but baby, I still got my mind. She said, my heart's failing and my kidneys are in trouble. I got sugar, but baby, I, I still have my mind. She said, go ahead and test me. I said, I got to go, Mother Smith. I, I can't, I, I, I got to go. I, I, I got, you know, I just came to say hello. I just came to stop by and, and say hello. She said, no, baby, go ahead and test me. I said, hey, Mother Smith. She said, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. You've heard this. I said, be, Mother Smith. She said, blessed is the one that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but her delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law doth she meditate day and night. You've heard this. I said, see, Mother Smith, she said, cast your cares upon him, for he careth for you. I, I said, D, Mother Smith, she said, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. I said, E, Mother Smith, she said, even the youths will grow weary, and the young men will utterly fall, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. I said, F, Mother Smith, she said, fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass. I said, gee, Mother Smith, she said, give, daughter, and it shall be given unto you. I said, H, Mother Smith, she said, hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the Lord, the everlasting God, a fainteth not, neither is weary? I said, I, Mother Smith, she said, I had fainted unless I had seen the glory of the Lord in the land of the living. I said, J, Mother Smith, she said, judge not, daughter, unless ye be judged. I said, K, Mother Smith, she said, know ye not that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. Uh, I said, L, Mother Smith, she said, uh, uh, Lord, thou hast been a dweller place uh, in all generations before the mountains were brought forth uh, ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting
everlasting thou art God. I said, M. Mother Smith. She said, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I said, and Mother Smith. She said, now abideth these three, uh, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. She's, I said, oh, Mother Smith. She said, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I said, P. Mother Smith. She said, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I said, Q, Mother Smith. She said, quench not the spirit. I said, R, Mother Smith. She said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. She said, I said, S, Mother Smith. She said, sing unto the Lord a new song. T, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thine own understanding. You, until I went in to the sanctuary of God, then understood I therein. I said, thee, Mother Smith, she said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. I said, W, Mother Smith, she said, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. I said, X, Mother Smith, and she took a paw. <laughs> then she said, Except the Lord buildeth the house. Except the Lord buildeth the house. He that labors, labors in vain. I said, why, Mother Smith? She said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I said, thee, Mother Smith. She said, Zion shall be redeemed. And then this little old bent over lady whose heart was failing, whose kidneys were failing, whose diabetes was out of control. She started to shake her shoulders up and down and a finger started tapping against the wheelchair. She said, uh, the doctors say uh, that I'm an impossible case, uh, but I still woke up uh, with my mind uh, stayed uh, on uh, Jesus. Uh, and I stopped by because uh, the newscasters uh, may have one report, uh, but there is uh, another report. Uh, and I'm going to keep my mind stayed uh, on Jesus. Somebody is in a desolate place and the mission for which your life has been commissioned may seem impossible but I'm here to tell you if you just keep your mind stayed on Jesus then you will know that what is impossible for man is possible with God the mission saints is possible 